This morning, um, I was talking to John earlier, and about, I want to see how many of people know the name John Fogarty. Come on. Aha. You do. Okay. And um, he's an interesting guy. He's got a couple of songs that I really like. He used to sing with a group called Credence Clearwater Revival out of Oakland, California. Remember them? And uh, it's a sad story as you, as you go through. And it started, the problem started with envy. And it moved on to jealousy. And then on John's side, it came back with resentment and finally vengeance. He was, uh, the whole group was inaugurated to the Rock and Roll Hall of, Hall of Fame in Cleveland not too long ago, and he wouldn't let the bandmates sing with him. It got that bad. Bitterness, and that's what we want to look at the scripture today, about something that hits many of us. If it doesn't hit us personally, we know someone in our family or friends that are gripped in resentment, hurt, and bitterness. You know, um, I, uh, just to show it doesn't happen only in secular life, I was in a I was in the south of Argentina, and a pastor came up to me, and he said, he said, Jim, I'm, uh, he didn't say Jim, he said Jaime, but we'll translate it over to Jim. He said, Jim, he said, I am, uh, I am really bitter, and he just, he started weeping, and I said, what, what happened? When, my, when we were getting married, my wife told me she was a virgin, and I found out after we got married, she wasn't, and I looked at him, and he said, well, how long have you been married? He said, 25 years. 25 years. Harboring that bitterness. And this happened last week. Well, I only heard about it last week. It happened the week before. A couple, they both work, and they have a daughter. The daughter goes to school. Two times a week, the wife has to be at work before they can take the daughter out to catch the bus. So living in the same uh, apartment complex is his brother and sister-in-law. The sister-in-law doesn't work, so they ask if the sister-in-law couldn't take the daughter out there twice a week to the bus and stand with her until the bus came and then come back. And they said, no. And they said, that's your responsibility. That's not ours. It's your responsibility. The situation happened. The couple with the daughter are Christians. The, the, the brother and sister-in-law are not Christians. The brother and sister-in-law contacted me. Why? Because, first of all, they were hurt. Step number one. Then, as they got to think about it, they were resentful. And finally, the guy got bitter, and he decides he's not going to talk to his brother and sister-in-law anymore. Happened two weeks ago. Bitterness. You know, I learned several things from these incidents and other incidents. Number one, time does not heal all wounds. Secondly, this is not a problem, as some people have told me, just with women. It is a problem with everyone. Third, it doesn't go away necessarily when the offended party asks for forgiveness. The offending party asks for forgiveness. And it can cause people to become cold in their Christian life and even stop going to church. I had a 
had a friend who was passed over for a, uh, a promotion in his job. He deserved it, but he was passed over. Why reasons, political reasons, I don't know. Who got bitter? His wife. And that happens a lot because she's trying to protect him. She knows what should have happened. She became bitter. As far as I know, never got, got over it. Bitterness is the easiest sin to justify. It is the most difficult to, to diagnose because it's too easy to excuse it before myself, before others, and before God. But it's one of the most common sins. And as we're going to see, it's the most contagious. Let's take a look. I'm just hoping that things pop up behind me. You know, I'm not going to look. We just let them happen. Let's take a look at a, a, a definition of bitterness. Hebrews 12, verse, let's start with verse 14. Make every effort, the writer of Hebrews said, to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. We'll take a look at that later. And see that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And in, the, in this verse here, in the uh, version of the Bible that I worked on in Spanish, I'm going to translate it back. It's something that messes with you and poisons many. It always does the two things. It messes with your mind, and then it poisons other. It's the most contagious of all sin. Definition. From Greek, it's a word that means pierce deeply. From Hebrew, we get the idea of something that's very heavy. And from classical Greek, which was different than Koine Greek, that's something strong. You put those together, we've got something that is heavy, that pierces deep into the heart. But bitterness does not happen just because someone offends me. No, I got, I got plenty of options. Someone offends me, I can. Love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. I've got, I've got lots of, I can, I can talk to the person. I can forgive. It, it, it only happens when I respond in a sinful way to that offense. That's when it happens. And I say, you know, it's just not fair. Now, it doesn't matter if the offense is intentional or not. If I don't take care of it, it could turn into resentment and then to bitterness and come, become sort of a style of life for me. Remember once up in a church, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the leaders of the church, he was, he was thinking about something else. It was, it was Sunday morning, and he was walking, and he didn't say hello to a guy that came in. The guy got offended, left the church. It happens, you know? And you know, bitterness never stays at home. It never walks alone. Bitterness have a, has a bunch of friends it goes around with. Bitterness's friends are self-pity, hurt feelings, anger, resentment, vengeance, envy, slander, gossip, paranoia, vain imaginations, and cynicism. How'd you see, like to see that group in your family? So, but, but Jim, why is it so difficult to get it out of my heart? There's three reasons. Number one, the person who's offended believes the other person is guilty. And usually he is. 
he or she should come to me and ask for forgiveness and repent. You know who I am? I'm the victim here. I don't want you to forget it. Second, almost no one helps me deal with my bitterness. You know what my friends say? Jim, look what happened to you. You're in the right here. Look what they did to you, which convinces me, right, that I have no sin or guilt in the matter at all. And third, if someone finally comes to me and says, Jim, look, I've noticed some things, you know, you need to take care of, you know, there's some bitterness going on in your life. You know what it looks like? It looks like the other person is lacking compassion. That's why it's so difficult to get it out. Now, so to do that, today we're going to look at some consequences of bitterness, and I am going to look around. It's magic, isn't it? The Bible says, and this isn't a suggestion, by the way, Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness. Number one, what are some of the consequences of bitterness? Bitterness causes me to miss God's real purposes, how he's going to work in a situation. God is always working in situations, and, and he's got his reasons. I've got some friends. Over here, we have a friend who, whose 17-year-old um, son was killed. It had something to do with a drug bust or something, but he was killed, 17-year-old son. These two went to the same church. Over here, we have a family whose 16-year-old daughter was killed in an auto accident. It looks like the same situation. Over here, this guy came to me one day and said, Jim, I'm eaten up with bitterness. I, don't, I just don't see what I can do to get rid of it. Over here, on the way to the hospital, they gave it over to God. God, this is yours. And when I got to the hospital, they were ministering to us. And they were talking about God's grace. And he ended up, the father ended up leading the nurse and his, and, and, and his wife to the Lord. And they were asked by the Hillsborough School District to speak to parents on how to overcome a tragedy like this. Bitterness causes us to miss God's real. Second, as we've said, and it says here in Hebrews 12, bitterness contaminates, poisons, infects, or defiles, depending on what script version of the Bible you use, poisons, infects, defiles, or contaminates others. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It never stays at home. It always looks for friends. It poisons others. It's the most contagious of all sin. I know nothing about the garden. I mean, I look at it, and I see the garden, and I see, if you've been to our house, you know, out in the back there, I didn't do that. My wife did. And uh, she, she says, I want you to come out here and help me cut the weeds down. We're talking about the root of bitterness, cut the weeds down. So I go out there and cut them down, and she said, you didn't do a thing. I said, what do you mean I didn't do a thing? Look at all these cadavers I have in my hand here. <laughs> you've got to get down and get the root out. Otherwise, all you've done is cut off the top. He said, and, and, and you know what happens? They send down shoots underneath, and then... Sooner or later, they're going to come up, not in one place, but in many places, when you least expect it. You know, I think that's what's happening here with the bitter root. You know, it goes down. 
You may look good in the surface, but it goes down, and it goes down deep, and it goes down there, and if you don't take care of it, it nurtures, and, and, and it feeds, and then all of a sudden, it comes out when you least expect it. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is bitterness is like that root. I was in, in one of these conferences that happens so often, and, and uh, I was staying in a, in a house, and the lady of the house said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He said, I want to talk to you about my, my daughter, Sylvia. He says, uh, she uh, married a guy in our church. He's a medical doctor. And, um, and they have two children. And then he fell in love with one of the uh, nurses at the hospital and ran off with the nurse. And, and uh, yeah, well, how can I help? Well, let me tell you, the problem is, is that we are a very, very, very close family. And we grieve together. We cried together, and we planned our vengeance together until something happened. What's that? Sylvia, the daughter, the wife, she forgave him. She forgave him. Now, I talked with her later. There's still moments, sadness, yes. She's, uh, she's got some moments of lowliness, yes, but she's not eaten up by bitterness. I said, well, what's the problem? He says, we're angry with Sylvia. Because she forgave him. And that's one of the things that happens here in, in bitterness. There was a lady who called me on the phone. I've got a book on this subject. And she called me on the phone and she said, I can see my bitterness in my nine-year-old son. It poisons others. Third, bitterness causes you to lose perspective. Psalm 73, 21 says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless. I was ignorant. The bitter person, I, you know, I don't make good decisions when I'm bitter. I make lousy decisions. And everybody makes lousy decisions when they're bitter because they filter their decisions through that veil of bitterness. Fourth, bitterness can often disguise itself as discernment, knowledge, or even wisdom. You know, sometimes a bitter person can become a mother superior to everyone else. And, I mean, I, how, many how many divorced people have become marriage counselors? And uh, James 3, 14 and 15 says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, it's the way the earth, the world thinks. It's unspiritual. It's not the way that God thinks. And it says it's demonic. It's the way that Satan thinks. There was an interesting case in the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers. In, I think it was in number 16. It was Korah's rebellion. Remember, 250 leaders of the community were, were fooled by him. And it all started with envy. Envy of Moses. Number five, it causes you to miss the grace of God. See to it, the Bible says, that no one falls short, fails to receive the grace of God. Now, for a non-Christian, he doesn't understand the grace of God at all, and what he wants is revenge. For a Christian, a Christian, by not getting to the grace of God, he tends to do everything on his own self-effort when he is bitter. Six, bitterness gives place 
to the devil. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You go to bed angry, you get up resentful. You go to bed resentful, you get up bitter. Cain, his offering wasn't accepted. The Bible doesn't say why it wasn't accepted. We can speculate, but it doesn't say. It led to jealousy, resentment, anger, revenge. He gave foothold to the devil. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 very clearly says to forgive. And then he says why? First, 2 Corinthians 2.11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Seven. Bitterness can cause physical problems. Lack of sleep, stress. You know, it's being linked every, uh, even today to high blood pressure. So if you want to lower your blood pressure, get rid of the bitterness. I know a lot of you don't want an exam. Some of you have just come out of study. But you don't have to study for this exam. We'll take a little test to see if we have a root of bitterness in us. You've already done your homework, so this is going to be easy. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 14.10, each heart knows its own bitterness. Number one, is there some situation that comes to mind every night that you have to set aside before you can sleep? You know, with me, it's not when I go to sleep. With me, it's three in the morning. Three in the morning, you're there alone. At least it seems like you're alone. It's dark, and all of these, these thoughts come rushing back. I have to give it over to the Lord. Second, are you planning revenge in your mind? If only I had the opportunity, this is what I would do. Three, has someone offended you and because you're the victim, are you justifying the hard feelings that you have? Now here, the key phrase is, you know, Jim, I'm right. And I'll tell you, there's nothing harder to deal with than an offended person who's right. Four, is there an excessive amount of emotion resulting from an otherwise minor issue? A volcano waiting to explode. This happens a lot in marriage. When, when uh, resentment will make the emotion packed into a comment or reaction much greater than appropriate to the situation. Why? Where did that come from? Five. I'll have to admit, this is something I've done. Do you find yourself applying the scriptures to others instead of to yourself? Do you see everybody else here? If Bob could only see this. If Jane could read this passage, it's just what she needs. You know, I, I knew I was in trouble when I, I was reading Proverbs and I was applying it to everybody else. Six. Do you remember down to the last detail something that happened some time ago? You know, bitterness has a memory like an elephant. And uh, we, when we lived in Mexico, there were two ladies near us, and uh, they were both Christians and uh, seemingly good friends. One day, they had a fight right in the middle of the street. They were yelling at each other, and one of them, without taking out a piece of paper and reading notes, remembered every time she had lent something to her neighbor in the last five years. Bitterness has a memory like an elephant.
Seven, do you find yourself exaggerating things by using expressions like, all of them, everybody's in favor of, or no one, all of them agree. There's a mysterious majority that appears sometimes, you know, and it's all of them. Eight, when speaking about the church, you find yourself using the phrase them instead of us. I was in Venezuela, and I noticed that when I was talking to a lady there, she, she mentioned them, them, as, as a church body. And I said, there's, there's a root of, root of bitterness in that lady's heart. Before we get to the, and finish today with the, um, with the solution to bitterness, I want to talk about a couple of unbiblical ways of dealing with bitterness. The Bible continues to say, get rid of all bitterness, but there are ways. There are more. I'm only mentioned two. And uh, there's one running around Latin America right now that, that is, to me, is heresy. You've got to forgive God. But I'm not going to deal with that one. The first one is minimizing the sin of bitterness. Now, I minimize it by calling it, using a different name, painting over it, or justifying it due to the circumstances. I mean, under the circumstances, I got the right. Or by blaming others. Those are three ways of minimizing it. But the most common way to deal with bitterness in an unbiblical, ungodly way is revenge. My wife reads mystery novels. She tells me there are only three reasons for murder. Love, money, and revenge. This morning, revenge. What does the Bible say? Romans 12, 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Not even in your mind. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay back pay them back, says the Lord. I have a, you're going to think all my friends have problems, but I've got some friends. <laughs> They're probably using me in a sermon today. Um, anyway, they, they grew up, their brother and sister, they grew up in the same house. I know her better than I know him, but um, they grew up in the same house, and they grew up with a father who was perverse. I'm not going to say anything more. He was just perverse. Words, actions. And uh, when Robert became, you know, grew up, he had a deep resentment and hatred toward his father. So he went to a, a counselor, a non-Christian counselor, who really helped him see the, the deepness in the, uh, of, of the problems he had in emotion, but suggested a solution, revenge. So he started by calling his dad on the phone and using the same language that his dad had used years before. And when that stopped having effect, then he started uh, uh, putting in seeds of doubt and of, of poison in the entire family about the dad. Today, he's a very unhappy man. The daughter, same parents, same situation, perhaps even more difficult because she was a, a woman. Some of the perverseness had to do with sex. She told me, I chose to forgive him and win him to the Lord. She's now the, the wife of a pastor, 
and she has won many young women to Jesus Christ. Grew up in the same family, same situation, chose two totally different ways to deal with it. Revenge is not the answer. When I take revenge, I put myself in God's place. He says, this is my work. It's not ours. When I do it, even in my mind, I leave no room for God to work. Second, when I take revenge, I'm going to always complicate the situation <laughs> and cause further hurt. You know, I mean, Cain and Abel, he ended up killing Abel. Further anger. God's anger is always righteous, and it solves the problem. Third, when I take revenge, I sin against God. Remember two weeks ago, we looked at one verse, 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander, Paul says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Okay, let's solve it now. God's solution for bitterness, or as I like to call it, the antidote for bitterness. Uh, a lady came to us uh, several years ago. She had been in uh, medical and psychiatric treatment for 23 years for a deep depression and bitterness. And basically what I'm going to say now from now until the end of the message is what we told her in those days. A little different using, it took us several days to say what I'm going to say in about 10 minutes. But, uh, but, uh, but this, is, this is what we what we said to her. Number one, you need to see bitterness for what it is, a sin against the holy God. If I see my sin only as a problem with the other person, I can easily justify it. No problem at all. Because after all, he was wrong. He did it. I'm right. When, you know, when David sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, and the whole people of Israel, he wrote in Psalm 51, 4, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, if I see my sin against a holy God, I will not minimize it, but I will maximize God's grace, his wonderful, magnificent, infinite grace. Second, forgive the offender. Someone came up to me and said, Jim, unilateral forgiveness is not biblical. Whoa. Let's take a look at a few, few passages. 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 17.9, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Luke 17.4, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 13, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you as a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then a famous verse in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, you know, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. 
I can remember as it were yesterday, June of 1972, the first time I had to face, you know, the, the, the resentment and bitterness and the unfairness of a situation. Two men walked into my dad's office and murdered him. And uh, my dad had no time for, for God, and uh, I was the only Christian in the family, and still am, as far as I know. And um, so I didn't have, I couldn't say, well, my dad is with Jesus. What was my options in those times? Drown my sorrows in bitterness? No. I had to give it over to the Lord, forgive them, and, and let the police handle it. Sorrow? Yes. Tears? Absolutely. Difficult times? Yep. Consequences? You bet. Unfair? Yes, it was. Were there others bitter? My entire family. But thank for the grace of God, I am not bitter. Bitterness is the best way I know to harm yourself for someone else's sin. It's the best way to harm yourself for someone else's sin. Because forgiveness, number one, rids the heart of resentment. You're not holding it against them any longer. Two, forgiveness is not tolerating. There's a difference between tolerating and forgiveness. Tolerating is passive. Forgiveness is active. It takes an act of the will. You know, the word in Greek for forgiveness means to send away. Isn't that interesting? To send out, to throw out, to send away. Three, forgiveness is not simply trying to forget. I mean, that's a good, try to forget something. That's a good way to remember it. The first time I, I, was, I was dwelling on these principles, someone came, a lady asked me, Jim, what happens if I remember, if it comes back to my mind? Does that mean I haven't really forgiven? My answer to her was, let me think about it for a couple of days. I mean, I, I wasn't ready to answer. A few days later, I went back to her and I said, you know, it could be that you haven't forgiven because the, the Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things. Now, back to the lady who came to us. And uh, when faced with Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. She said quickly, oh, many times I, I have asked God to forgive my father. And I said, wait a second. We went back over the whole thing again. Finally, she got to the place where she could forgive her father. And the reason I use her as an example, I've never seen a change so radical in a person. Never seen it. She changed her, the, way, the way she walked, the way she looked, her countenance, everything changed. And the se second thing is, you know, we're talking about 70 times 7 sometimes when it comes back to, to, your, uh, to your mind. You know, um, we all have a word, uh, uh, the effects of drinking too much alcohol, it's called a hangover. In Latin America, every, every country has its own word. In Mexico, it's, la, it's the uh, la cruda. In Guatemala, it's la, I forgot, but in other parts, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's resaca. But sometimes we can have a you know, spiritual hangover. I mean, you forgive, but you may, it may come back to your mind. You know, my wife, now I'm going to blame this on her, you know, this is, she says, 
You judge whether she's right or not, but this is what she says. She says when a guy forgives something, he closes a huge door. When a woman forgives something, she closes 25 small doors. I don't know. You evaluate it and talk to my wife about it. You know, who wants us to remember those things? There are three people that want us to remember. Number one, Satan. We talked about that. Steve talked about that a little last week. You know, Satan, he uses our weaknesses and our immaturity. He brings it back to mind. Secondly, ourselves. We do it ourselves. Let's face it. And the third is the group that we've infected. They don't have the grace to get over it. We do. And so, as what happened in the case of Sylvia, they get mad even sometimes because you've forgiven. Now, let's go back. Number four, forgiveness is difficult. I'll admit it, because it goes against the human nature. He did it. He's got to pay. That's the human nature. Five, forgiveness does not necessarily mean absolving the offender from the consequences of what he's done. But the difference is I'm not going to do it. Six, forgiveness is not a receipt that you give to the offender after he's paid. It's a debt that will never collect. Seven, forgiveness is not necessarily something that needs to be known to the offender. In the case of this lady, her dad had died. Eight, forgiveness should be as immediate as possible. Be, so that the poison doesn't have a chance to get around. I was in the, uh, Santiago in the Dominican Republic, and I was sleeping under a mosquito netting, but somehow a spider got, got under and, and bit me right here, right here. It was a poisonous spider. Now, if I would have had the chance immediately to get that out, probably would have left a little, a little scar, but uh, it wouldn't have had time to, for, the, for the Poison to get all through my body. Well, I was at night. It got all through my body. I was really sick. They had to take me to a tropical specialist out there in the, in the, in the Caribbean. And, uh, and finally, I got, as you can see, I finally got over it. But, but that's why we have to forgive as soon as possible so that, so that that poison doesn't have a chance to get through the entire body. And then, number nine, forgive continually. Seventy times seven. Why? Some of us have to go back and face the same person. We have to go back and, and face the same employer. We have to go back and face the same spouse. It's got to be 70 side continual. And then forgiving should lead to forgetting. Forgetting, what does that mean? <laughs> Number one, forgetting is always a result of forgiveness. Now, I can't change the past. And you can't change the past, but I'll tell you, forgiveness can change, take the power out of the past. The power that the past has over me, it can take it away. Forgetting requires an act of your will. I forgive, and I choose to forget. Three, I refuse to bring the incident up to the other person involved. Four, I refuse to bring it up to persons not involved. No gossip. I refuse to bring it up to myself. I don't dwell on it any longer at three in the morning. Six, refuse to use the incident 
against the other person. As we close today, I want to go back to this and look at the first words of verse 15 in Hebrews 12. See to it. Very interesting. The NLT translates that look after each other. The Greek word is episkopeo. You might recognize that from episcopal, episcopeo. It means overseer, overseer. See to it, oversee. And I'm wondering if the writer of Hebrew isn't saying that we have a responsibility to other people to oversee. If we see someone that we think is getting bitter, resentful, or something like that, we have a, a responsibility to go to that person, love, uh, and, and, and talk to them tenderly about that. See to it. No one misses the grace of God. I have two life lessons that I've learned. I can pass them on to you. We had something happen seven years ago, eight years ago now. And um, we had to go through everything I've, I've put in this message. Number one, pray for those who offend you. The Bible says in Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Hmm. Pray for those who hurt you. Lord, get that guy. And that's not the type of prayer I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, really pray for his... That was the hardest thing for me to do. But it was freeing. Second, life lesson, deal with your attitude before you deal with the situation. Deal with your attitude before you deal with the situation. If you deal with the situation before you deal with the attitude, you're not going to deal with it in a godly way. When this happened to us, we took days. I mean, I'm not talking 24 hours a day. I'm talking about in the morning, looking into the scripture, praying, looking further into scripture, putting in practice. It took us, looking at my wife, four or five days, four or five days until we said, I've got my attitude right now. Now I'm ready to deal with the situation. Is there something eating you today? Some of you need to give up. Send away. Maybe there's constant reminders around you. Maybe it's time to forgive. And put it on God's shoulders. They're broad. He can handle it. If revenge is involved, he can handle that too.